Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. And we start today now with the uproar in Ottawa over Pierre Polyev's taxpayer-financed mansion. Pierre Polyev, I'm not talking about Justin Trudeau here. We're not talking 24 Sussex Drive. We're not talking about Rideau Cottage here. We're talking about Stornoway, the official residence of the leader of the opposition. 19-room mansion. Why does Pierre Polyev have a taxpayer-financed mansion? Now, it's very interesting to see Pauly have taken some heat over this now. you got the federal finance minister, Christian Freeland, going after him on it. And also, my next guest, NDP MP, Charlie Angus, raising some a storm over this. Have a listen to Charlie Angus here. He's standing by. Have a listen to him here in the House of Commons the other day. Let's talk about the bag that taxpayers have to hold for the leader of the Conservative Party's digs. A 19-room house, 9,500 square feet. He has a private chef and servants. Get this, $170,000 a year just to keep it clean for him. <laughs> $170,000 to keep it clean? Wow. Okay, well, it's got 19 rooms. Charlie Angus joins me, NDP MP, Timmins James Bay. Charlie, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hey, so great to be on the show. Okay, tell me why you think it's important to talk about this. Like, a lot of Canadians, I think, realize that there's an official residence for the leader of the opposition, Stornoway. And why do you think it's a problem for Polyev here right now? Well, I, absolutely. And I don't have a problem with the fact that in a G7 country, you know, the prime minister, I mean, 24 Sussex, I mean, God, they should, they should fix the place up. Come on. But Polyev has been coming into the house day after day, uh, calling the prime minister a freeloader, uh, saying the free, you know, it's outrageous that the prime minister is not paying for his hotel rooms. He's the prime minister, for God's sake. You know, like he's always going on about uh, the perks that the prime minister is getting as the head of the country. And so I thought, well, wait a minute. Pierre Polyev owns a house in Ottawa. So he's already got a house. He moves over to this 19-room mansion. And so I start looking it up. The guy's got his own personal chef. So when he's getting up and saying the prime minister's out of touch, which he is, and doesn't know the price of groceries, well, how would Pierre Polyev know? Does he ask his chef in the morning when they're making <laughs> him his, his omelets? Like, come on. Okay. Okay. You said in the House of Commons he's got a private chef and servants, too. Has he got a full staff over there? There's a full staff. And, and oh. uh, you know, it's a pretty swanky, like the, the, the lawn. So... You know, Polyev's always going on about the gatekeepers. I mean, I think the only thing this guy knows are, are his groundskeepers. And <laughs> this is the toniest part of Ottawa. This is where the old money yeah. is. Like, you got to, like, people don't just, there's no tourist buses out to where this is. This is where, you know, the, the real money is. So if Polyev's going to live the high life, then he can't go after the prime minister, the prime minister of the country, 
for traveling uh, with his, his entourage to go to places like London. I mean, you know, what's the prime minister going to do? Stay at the Super 8? Come on. So I just thought it's time. It's time. Mr. Polyev explained to the taxpayers why he's not living in his own house. Uh, and and is moving in when we got 19 rooms. I mean, some of the prices are crazy. Like they had the two water bills, and I was looking it up. There was a seven thousand five hundred and fifty-six dollar bill for June and July. I mean, what are they doing with the water? What? Okay, I heard I heard yeah. you say that in the House of Commons the other day, and I was like, what? What is the deal with that? So there's two water meters in this house, and you said that there was one bill there and one water meter. For seven thousand five hundred bucks, and then another water meter, over four thousand um, dollars. Does he have a pool there? Is well, is that I don't why? Know. It... I mean, he hasn't. The thing is, he hasn't invited me. I'm, I'm hoping he'll invite <laughs> me to come out and you know try some of the you know some of the shrimp cocktails. Like, what are you doing with that water? And again, maybe there was a water break. Uh, mm. But these are the taxpayers paying for all of this. Yeah. So Paulie okay. is going to go on about elites. And if he's going to go on about the gatekeepers and he's going to go on about the prime minister being a freeloader, then he needs to say, why is he freeloading uh, at a place that's 19 rooms, 9,500 square feet? Yeah, Uh, this is this is this is as fancy as it gets. Right. And as you mentioned, this is in the Rockcliffe neighborhood of Ottawa, which is a very fancy, desirable part of the capital. The home is assessed at. $4.2 $4.2 million. So this is a really, a really nice home. Now, it, it has been a bit run down in the past as well. Not as bad as 24 Sussex Drive, but they have had to spend a lot of money clean, uh, fixing it up. How much have the repairs cost over there? Well, they've spent $1.4 million uh, yeah. in leading up to 2020. Uh, there's like... Probably they've got another six hundred and fifty-one thousand in capital spending on the place. So this place is pretty Tony. They're looking after yeah. this place. And again, if it's decided that that's fair, that in Canada the prime minister and the leader of the opposition have their digs, fine. But Pierre Polyev doesn't get to go out and pretend, you know, he's the poor beleaguered voice of the working class when he gets up in the morning. Yeah. He's got his own private chef, paid for by the taxpayer, when he already has a house in Ottawa where he can make his own omelets. Yeah. Speaking to NDP MP Charlie Angus, we're talking about Stornoway, the official residence of Pierre Polyev, the Conservative leader. You said in the House of Commons the other day, Charlie, it's $170,000 a year just to keep the place clean. Well, I guess, well, what is up with that? Yeah, I, and I don't know what they're cleaning it with, but I mean, that's probably maintenance too thrown in there. But like, it's over $2 million for the staffing that he's got. Uh, wow. Like, so this is like, he's not coming home on the weekends and, and getting out the dust broom, you know, like this place <laughs> is kept immaculate for him. So okay. again, he doesn't get to turn around and then say to the prime minister, why are you living so large off the taxpayer? He's living large off the taxpayer too. So let's just set that aside and then let's debate policy. You know, okay. let's, that's what we should be focusing on. So are you therefore saying that if Jagmeet Singh, your party leader, the leader of the NDP, if Jagmeet Singh became the leader of the opposition in the next in the next parliament, that he would not move into Stornoway? Well, I don't know if he would or he wouldn't. Um, but what I do well, know, we know, we, we know we would, Charlie. Come on now. We know you well, know now, your leader I'd, would I'd move love in. I'd to live at Stornoway, but nobody's invited me. Uh, but it's it's what I heard. Uh, it would. The snap for me was Polly of calling the prime minister a freeloader for t- doing international travel. It's like, oh, come on. Like, what's he going to do? Like, 
go economy class on Ryan's air. He's the prime minister. So that's that's the issue here. Polyev needs to say to people, listen, I'm, I've got a pretty good gig here, too. Let's put that aside and then yeah. let's talk about policy where the prime minister is out of touch. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what it's like to have to pay your bills. Right. So that's OK. That's all fair game. But neither does Pierre Polyev. Well, let's talk a little bit about policy. Now, just to be completely fair to Polyev here as we as we beat him up here, let's listen to him in the House of Commons talking about a very important issue to people in Vancouver, and that is the price of housing and how he says the federal government is making it even even pricier. So, okay, let's put aside his taxpayer-financed mansion for a minute. Let's talk about real people who are struggling to afford a home in this country and in this province, in this city. So here is Polyev in the House of Commons the other day, then I'll get your thoughts. This Prime Minister has presided over the worst housing bubble on planet Earth. UBS says that Vancouver is more overpriced than New York, Tokyo, Hong Kong, Los Angeles. Now he wants to make it more expensive to heat homes by tripling, tripling and tripling the carbon tax. Okay, so he says that we should scrap the carbon tax. I know, Charlie, your party supports the carbon tax. Right. So let's talk about how that's impacting the the lives and and affordability for real people for a minute. What about that policy that he keeps hitting on? Well, I think the issue uh, and we're dealing this with the wildfires. I mean, we got to find a way to get our emissions down. I think the carbon tax is is a pretty inefficient thing. But in terms of the the housing crisis, what is real is that, you know, the prime minister came in and he made a promise that the feds were going to come back to the table on housing. And they haven't. They've made a lot. They, they, they've talked and talked and talked about it. And people can't afford to live uh, in Vancouver. Right. You know, my youngest daughter, I'm going with a van this week to pick her up. She's leaving Toronto. She can't stay there. Uh, yeah. But so let's let's talk about the need to invest in in good urban housing so that young families can stay. Single people have a place to stay. Polyev, though, on the housing issue to be to, to, to you know, deconstruct him. He's saying it's municipal gatekeepers. Well, I'm not going to blame municipalities for the fact that the houses, the housing market is a disaster. This is this is three levels of government that have failed and they continue to fail. So my focus is saying to the liberals, OK, you've talked housing, housing, housing. Show me the money, the money, the money. And okay. let's get shovels in the ground and let's get people like affordable. Like we used to have great cooperatives. We had good public housing where people could live. We don't have that right now. And people can't afford to live in the cities that we all love. Charlie, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. All right, here we go now with the smart traffic light they've just installed in a city in Quebec. Now, this is going on in Brassard, Quebec, which is near Montreal. So this is a smart traffic light. So it'll actually measure the speed of an approaching vehicle and if you're going too fast, the light turns red. Should we bring something like this in here, British Columbia, get people to slow down? You're going too fast, you get a red light. Got Grant Gottkentru standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this report. Global News reporter Braden Jagger Haynes. This system, meant to reduce drivers' speed, is the first of its kind in the country. The intelligent traffic light is red by default but turns green when drivers proceed at the legal speed limit. We're using the signal that driver already know to stop to make you slow down. And as soon as you get the right speed, it gives you the green light to continue. Legally, drivers do not have to stop at this red light. 
and there are no penalties for not doing so. The goal of the project is to get drivers to slow down. <laughs> okay, so uh, as you heard there, yeah, if it does turn red, you're allowed to go through the red light anyway. <laughs> the way this uh, intelligent traffic light works. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Grant Gottgetrue. Grant is a former traffic police officer. He's now a forensic consultant on traffic violations. ForensicTrafficPro.com is his website. Hey, Grant. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good, Grant. Thanks a lot for coming on again. What do you think of this smart traffic light they have near Montreal? Should we bring them in here? This ranks right up there with the stupidity of linking fines to somebody's income. I mean, are, are, are these people bored? Are they looking for new and fantastic ways to annoy everybody with more oversight and restrictions and whatnot that are artificial intelligence or what? Why do you, why do you, tell me how you really feel, Grant, here. Um, why do you not like it? Like they're saying, look, it's it's been installed near a school, by the way, too. So they're trying to get people to slow down. And if people see that red light, it's, that's a wake-up call, right? People should slow down. What's wrong with that? Well, at least in uh, British Columbia, they're a little bit smarter. Um, because in school zones and playground zones, they, they do have... Uh, traffic calming measures, and they're called speed bumps. So it, it forces everyone to slow down regardless. Um, this type of thing, I think, is going to do nothing but generate problems, uh, especially if, if people from the schools call and say, oh, no one's stopping at this red light, and then the police say, well, we can't enforce it. Then it becomes, well, because dr drivers aren't stupid, first of all. They're going to recognize that there's no consequences to these this red light so people are just yeah. going to continue to drive right uh, like me I was, uh, I was thinking the same thing that if people figure figure this out that even if they blow through this red light they're not going to get stopped although i suppose if there's a police officer there and you're speeding you can get a ticket at any time but would it really change well, behavior go ahead well no no it wouldn't change behavior at all the only way to, 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 the only way to slow down drivers in school zones and playground zones is by speed bumps. That's the most effective way, and that's why a lot of school zones and playground zones already have those. Those are the only true traffic calming measures uh, to slow traffic down. Uh, I read the article, and they're talking about the average speeds of vehicles going through. And, yeah, okay, the, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's one of those things where when I was on the job, I did school zone, a lot of school zones and playground enforcement, and I gave 12 kilometers over the speed limit, That's which is low, but we're talking about kids, right? But it's also, yeah. you know, is this going to be red light on all the time, or is it when it's recess and when kids are being dropped off and, and picked up? Uh, and yeah. traditionally, my experience was most of the speeders in the school zones uh, were parents or people that lived in the area anyways, because they were, uh, you know... The, the, so used to traveling in the area um but it's this is one of those things where it's like yeah it's it's a gimmick and I, I appreciate that someone said oh well it worked in europe and it's like well if it's in butts for candies and nuts every day would be christmas what's your point just because it works there doesn't mean it's going to work here speaking of grant got true he's a former traffic police officer okay so i i take your point that getting people to slow down using speed bumps might be more effective. Let's have a listen to the mayor here of this city in Quebec that where they've installed this smart traffic light here because she 
she addresses that point directly here, saying that they feel this is a better a better way to get people to slow down. Doreen Assad, mayor of Brossard, Quebec. Let's listen. There's a very limited scope of things that we can look at in terms of bullets, in terms of speed bumps, in terms of police activity. You can't have that at every at every zone. You can't have that necessarily placed in every area. Okay, so she's saying, well, we can't put speed bumps everywhere. We can't we can't have police officers on duty everywhere. So we'll spend a fortune on these smart traffic lights instead. I'm not sure I get the logic of what she's saying there, but your thoughts. Oh, there's so a politician being full of it. I'm shocked. (laughs) Uh, The end of the day, the only way is to put in speed bumps. And that is not very cost effective. Sorry, it's not very cost prohibitive because they have portable uh, uh, speed bumps. And, Mm. uh, you know, the other thing they leave out is, you know, are these high crash locations? I don't know of any school zone that's a high crash location. Are they basing it on on what? Because there's crashes there. How many children are getting hit by cars type things, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's a very rare occurrence because most people are switched on and they know better when they go through a school zone. You get the odd bozo who's going to speed, obviously, to do more than, you know, they'll be traveling at 50 kilometers an hour, 55K and, and, and whatnot, but... Uh, I, I think I think her line is rubbish. I think at the end of the day, like you said, why put up something that's going to have no effect? Because people are going to figure out there's no enforcement right. action. So you know, and the people that are going to speed are going to speed anyway. So don't only to slow them down. The speed bumps, and those are very effective. Okay, you've you've been a, you were a traffic police officer for a long time, so you've seen a lot of reckless driving. You've seen a lot of speeding. You've seen a lot of bad driving. What would be an, another effective way to get people to slow down, drive more safely? We've talked about the speed bumps. Do you, do you think new drivers need more training? Well, I think it's how the roadways are laid out in, 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 in the school zones. Uh, some school zones are, are right on major arteries that, uh, that have very heavy traffic flow. Um, so there's going to be a natural increase in speed anyway, so you've got your fencing up and, and whatnot. There's always roundabouts. There's all sorts of ways they can put um, traffic calming measures in that force cars to go slow. All right, we're talking about speeding and other bad driving habits with my guest, Grant Gottgertrude. Lots of calls. Susan in Burnaby. Hi, Susan, go ahead. Good morning. Um, the worst one I see, Mike, is when people make a right-hand turn and they automatically go in the other lane as opposed to sticking to your lane and putting the indicator out. The other thing is texting. Now, when I'm at a red light and somebody's texting behind me, I wait even when the light turns green. And then they're like, oh, what the heck? Why isn't she moving? And I, then I just throw up my hands like, what are you doing? Like, oh. anyway. Okay, Grant, what do you think of the... Thank you for the call, Susan. Grant, what do you think of those infractions? Oh, the, the turning, yeah. You have to turn into the uh, the nearest lane to you. So when you, yeah. if you're turning on the two lanes, then yeah. And I had a... Uh, actually, I had a lady in Richmond hit my truck doing that. I was making a left. I went into the my closest lane. She made her right turn into her lane and immediately crashed right into my truck. So... Oh. Um, I mean, obviously she was at fault, but she was confused and, you know, and, and, and that's, there are some traffic officers out there that, that that's their pet peeve and they specifically target uh, people like that at intersections. So uh, yes, that uh, last caller was absolutely right. John in Kelowna. Hi, John, go ahead. 
Good morning. You know, I, I've lived in Kelowna just a year and a half now. I've become a school bus driver part-time, and one of the things that just drives us nuts every day is the motorists don't seem to respect the swing-out stop sign on the left side of the bus and the red flashing lights. They, they just oh. don't get it. Second point I want to make is I lived in the Clarny District of Vancouver for 35 years, and so 45th and Rupert, you got two lanes southbound, one lane northbound. There's George Weir Elementary School, and I lobbied the city of Vancouver many times to get the school zone uh, signs for 30 kilometers an hour posted, and they would not do it. So it doesn't matter what you try to get the motorists to do if government won't play along. Uh, we're all at a loss. But this red okay. sign, stop sign thing on buses, I wish the province would have a, a blitz. Well, these, what is uh, well, what is the what is the penalty for that? Like that's very interesting, and I would I'm a little surprised because I would have thought that if someone saw a school bus with a, one of those swing out stop signs and lights flashing, that they'd be pretty, you know, follow the rules. You don't want to be you want to be careful around a school bus. But you say like, what is the penalty for for that? Like if if a driver passes you in a situation like that, is that can they get a big fine? John, do you know? I have no idea. Um, I'm but you say it happens all it happens all the time, right? It, does it happen frequently? The two days ago, I had it happen. Yesterday morning, my one of my young children got off the bus. His friend from another bus said, "What are you talking about?" And, uh, well, the red sign was uh, ignored, and the other young kid pulled his hair up and he looked to the sky and said, "My God, this happens all the time." He says, "My driver was honking at all these other cars yesterday." Wow. Okay. Thanks for the call. Thank you for the call, Grant. Passing a school bus like that. Your thoughts? Yes, it's a ticketable offense. They've got their flashing red lights going, uh, and they're the only vehicles uh, outside of emergency vehicles that are allowed to have flashing red lights because we're talking about children. But it is a ticketable offense. And if you want to see the violations of those, go on YouTube. They're all over YouTube. Um, but uh, getting back to the uh, – I just wanted to say quickly about the school zones in, in B.C. You'll notice a lot of the school zones have also changed where they have uh, – speed readers mounted to the signs and, and flashing yellow lights. So the, the government has done good in, in really uh, uh, drawing attention to people, making sure that they know in a school, they're in a school zone in addition to speed bumps. Okay. Okay, I just quickly check um, drivesmartbc.ca, and it says the penalty for passing a, a school bus is, in, when its lights are flashing, is $368 and three penalty points. Steve in his truck. Hi, Steve. Go ahead. Hey, uh, the whole red light thing in the lower mainland is be a waste of time because I drive for a living, and every time you go through an intersection, somebody's blowing a red light. It's like everybody in this town's colorblind. So the whole red light thing hmm. ain't going to work in this town. And the other thing is, You'd be surprised at how many people in this town are driving around in $100,000 cars that don't have functioning turn signals. Another pet <laughs> peeve of mine. It's amazing. Okay. I've driven all over North America, and this by far is pretty much top two or three worst places ever to drive. Steve, thank you very much for your call. Make sure you listen to the rest of the show because we'll be getting into a topic you just touched on there a little later in the show, too, by the way. Al and Langley. Hi, Al. Go ahead. Good morning. First off, I'd like to say I'm not exactly the best driver in the world, and I've done some bonehead things myself, but I generally try to obey the rules, and uh, I don't think the red light camera would work or a uh, smart red light. Um, yeah. The biggest thing I see is pretty much what your previous guest said. The amount of people that are blowing through red lights is unbelievable. In the last 10 to 15 years, 
drivers in, in the lower mainland have become, it's getting horrendous. And where I live, people uh, doing U-turns everywhere. Um, the speed limits are 50 kilometers an hour. Nobody's doing less than 80. It's just, it's getting out of hand. Um, yeah, that's Oh, thank my you. Thank you. On my case all the time. But. Thank you, Al, for the call. Grant, what do you? Th- okay, the point we had two callers in a row there talking about people blowing through red lights. Your thoughts? No, I, I, I have no problem with the red light cameras because the police can't be everywhere, right? So I don't have a problem with the red light cameras. I'd be curious to see if uh, we've had them in in the province for a while now. I would like to uh, know if they're if they've had any impact besides putting money into the topics of the government i would like to see if they're actually um doing what they were expected to do well that's a really good point because i know the red light cameras were installed at we were told i believe we were told that high high accident zones right like they were being installed in dangerous intersections so has the accident rate gone down yeah and i think that would be a fair uh that would be a fair yeah the the powers that be absolutely i'll check on that george and nanaimo hi george go ahead Hi, good morning, guys. Um, my concern about these lights is I have no doubt that very shortly after they're installed, they're going to add a camera to them, and they're going to start using it like photo radar to ticket people. I don't trust them at all. And over here, our two biggest issues on the island are actually people that drive way too slowly on the highway, 20 or 30 kilometers under the limit, which causes the traffic to bunch up. And the other one is people tailgating. An inch off your bumper in big pickup trucks. It's rampant all over the island here. Nobody ever does anything about it here. George, thank you very much for the call. We got 30 seconds, Grant. What about people who, who drive slowly in the left lane? That's that's one of the worst. Well, there is a ticket for that. You can yeah. be charged for driving too slow. It's called slow driving. And you can also be charged for uh, being in the left lane if the speed limit is higher than 80 and, and you're not passing anybody. Uh, yeah, uh, there's just not enough. There's just not enough enforcement in that. That's the only problem. There's just those laws have been on the books for years, especially the left lane hogs. Uh, there's just not enough enforcement where they do a lot of enforcement with that is actually in Washington state. And they get a lot of drivers from B.C. Grant, thank you for coming on today. That's my pleasure. Have a great day. All right. Let's talk about Kristen McDonald now, the Coquitlam teaching assistant who has been threatened with being fired by the school district because of her raunchy and revealing OnlyFans page. Wow, what a story this is. Have a listen to this report here from Global News reporter Krista Dow. Obviously, this is a controversial topic. I took precautions um, in order to keep OnlyFans and my education job separate. McDonald, who's a single mother, says she started her OnlyFans last year to supplement her income. She says her part-time job as a teaching assistant at a Tri-Cities High School isn't enough to support her and her child, arguing her personal life outside the classroom is private. I do believe that I should be able to continue on. Um, I'm not hurting anyone. All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Leah Moody, employment lawyer, Samfiro Tumarkin, Vancouver, employmentlawyers.ca. Leah, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. 
Okay, Leah, an, an incredible story here. This has gone absolutely viral. Everybody is talking about this. The, the, the Coquitlam School District uh, telling this young woman, take down your OnlyFans page or you're possibly going to be fired here. Let's talk about the law here. Does this school board have the right to do this? Yeah, you're right. It's an absolutely fascinating case, and it has so many layers, one of which being the legal analysis. And I think for the first time, that's actually the most straightforward one. Um, so one sort of caveat that I want to set off the bat is that my understanding is that in this particular situation, she's unionized, which means that a lot is going to come down to this collective bargaining agreement, right? What is in that collective bargaining agreement? But for unionized and non-union uh, employees, an employer has the right to set professional standards and policies for conduct outside of work. And that can include limits on taking a second job and social media use. However, I'm of the view that there has to be a pretty strong connection between the employment and a restriction like this one in order to justify a with cause termination of her employment. Right. And as you mentioned, Kristen McDonald, the young woman we're discussing here, she is a member of a union. She has a union contract. Would a union contract typically protect her in a situation like this? Like she has said, look, I am not breaking any laws. I am not hurting anybody. This is all being done on, on my, my own time. So leave me alone. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to feed my child here. She's a single mom. Would the union, a, yeah. a union contract typically protect her? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's absolutely it, isn't it, right? And that's sort of where the other, other elements of this situation really come to the fore. Um, you know, this woman is in a position where she's not being paid well enough to put food on her table and a roof over her head for the excellent work that she and other EAs do. Um, and so she was forced to go and get this other job to supplement her income. But you're right. I mean, that aside, there is no right to that. Um, most contracts, including most collective bargaining agreements, are going to set out the very, very sort of stern parameters by which somebody can be let go. So usually under unionized employment, it's not the same as non-unionized employment. We've spoken about this a bunch, Mike, where, you know, somebody could just walk in one day and say, I don't like your striped shirt and terminate you as long as they pay you severance. You can't do that in a unionized context. And so, you know, I was saying this in another interview, I hope she's got good representation in her union because my suspicion is that she's protected by the CBA and that, you know, she should be able to, to keep her, her account. Right. Okay. There is no doubt this is a raunchy website. I mean, we're talking adult only content here. And I, I checked this morning, Leah, it, it is supposed to be for adults only. Okay. So this is supposed to be for 18 years old is the age limit. And, and this, this company only fans has been criticized for not, not vigilantly checking the age of their, their users, but it's supposed to be for 18 years old. It's adult. It's an adults only site. Does that make any difference? She teaches at a high school, right? So we're talking, she works with kids, but this is an adults only site. Does that make a difference? I think it does. You know, my understanding of OnlyFans is that it's subscription-based. Uh, minors don't have access to it. I think that the story could be different if this was something that she was doing on a publicly accessible Facebook page or Instagram account. But this is subscription-based. And 
the uh, individuals that she's teaching ostensibly um, don't have access to it or they shouldn't anyway. And so I do think that sort of amplifies the privacy concerns on her end. You know, she is entitled to a certain degree of privacy over these sorts of things and the right to make work where she needs to make work and how she can. So I, I do think that that's a, a really excellent distinction, Mike, that, you know, the OnlyFans account makes the situation different from something that might be more publicly accessible. Okay, this apparently all started, according from the school board, from a complaint from a student. So apparently a student complained about this. Does that make any difference in the case? I don't think so. I think that it might make it more understandable as to why the school felt like they needed to get involved. You know, up to this point, I actually didn't know that it had originated with a student complaint. And so that makes a lot of sense. As other as thinking, you know, what is what is the district's business with this? Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure that what they'll say is that, you know, we have certain standards with respect to uh, conduct and propriety and, you know, our teachers and our EAs need to maintain a certain public image to um, instill trust in the public that we serve. But I, I just don't think that you know, a complaint from one student is going to be the foundational basis on which to justify a cause termination here. Right. Taking a look at the email she received from the school district, and it says you're directed to, um, to immediately cease all activity, remove all online social media accounts. And it, it's not only OnlyFans, which, you, as you pointed out, is a subscription-based website, but it also mentions your Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. So it would appear she has some presence on these other social media platforms, too. I wonder, could the school district invoke some sort of morality clause or, or your behavior right. is going to be unbecoming to the school district, your employer? Like, would that typically, is that typically something that would be covered under, for a unionized worker? You've already touched on this briefly, but that, that's kind of common too, isn't it? Sometimes in employment contracts, like a, a morality clause? Yeah, th there is. You know, you're supposed to sort of represent your employer uh, as best you can, right? And to the extent that you're associated, your personal image is associated or easily associated with where you work. That's going to change that standard. That's going to change that metric. So, you know, for somebody like you or I, Mike, right, somebody who might be able to recognize us as being very specifically associated with San Pedro Market or CKNW, that's, we're going to be, we're going to be subject to a different standard. Um, you know, somebody who is uh, working uh, an office job where they don't do interviews, their face isn't on the website, that's a much, much harder sell. Um, yeah, I think that the morality cause, the morality issue is an interesting one. I personally think that any employer loses the moral high ground when they've put their employees in a position where they're not paying them a livable wage and they have to go out and do this. Yeah. And I look at a situation like this and I think, you know, if this individual was taking a second job and she was, you know, working at an old folks home or at a public library, nobody would even think twice about this. Right. And it's only because there there is this posting of, you know, sexualized or revealing images that all of a sudden make it this big deal, which I think brings up a whole other can of worms with respect to my thoughts on what this says about our society. Well, um, yeah, but you, I mean, you've right? already got ad, you've already got advocates coming to her fence, her defense saying this is discrimination against sex workers. 
So, and, and she, she has made the point in several interviews as well that, you know, we try to tell, tell women to, uh, to, to, to be proud of their sexuality, my body, my choice. We tell kids this all the time in our school system. And yet here she is making a, a choice ab- about what she does with her time and her body. And she's being threatened with being fired. Do you, absolutely. Do you think I'm, that, that is, so that is a you- powerful argument? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. And I am so glad that you brought that up because it was a point that I wanted to be sure to make because I understand the point about discrimination against sex workers. I mean, sex workers vary sort of narrowly defined with our criminal code. But I would be very interested to know how any sort of school board or other employer might respond to any of the millions of men out there who post shirtless photos at the gym. Right. I mean, do our men going to be subject to the same cease and desist letters, the same, you know, oh, our eyes, we have to hide our children from from this stuff as we are with with our female employees. And that, I think, has a very, very interesting basis for a case of discrimination. Okay, we're going to follow it closely. Leah, thank you very much for coming on with your thoughts and analysis on it today. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Leah Moody there, Samfiro to Markin, Vancouver Employment Lawyers.ca. All right, here we go now with our question of the day. Vancouver drivers, are they bad drivers? Or do they get a bum rap? I think drivers in Vancouver take some grief for being bad drivers, certainly in the wintertime. A lot of people say Vancouver drivers don't know how to drive in the ice and the snow. I hear that a lot. But recent studies suggest Vancouver drivers are bad drivers all year round. Is that fair? I've got a great guest standing by in this first. Have a listen to this report here now from Global News reporter Aaron MacArthur. You can have all the best driving skills, all the knowledge of all the rules, but if your attitude doesn't follow up with those, we're going to find that uh, we're going to have some incidents on the road. A poll done by Insights West says British Columbians think drivers have gotten a lot worse over the last five years. Everything from blowing stop signs to turning without signaling. We see a lot of residents who are over 55 or middle age saying it's the young drivers who don't know the rules of the road, who think they can do whatever they want. And it's the young drivers in the middle age who are saying there's too many drivers who are old, who are going too slowly. Okay, let's discuss this now because this is really blowing up on Reddit. If you're a Reddit user, I enjoy checking out the Reddit pages, especially the Vancouver forum there. I check that out just about every day. And uh, this one really caught my eye. So here is the post on Reddit. I miss Vancouver drivers. It says you, yes, you read that correctly. Vancouver drivers really are not that bad. And the Reddit user goes on to say he's been driving in Miami, where the drivers are a lot worse. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Reddit user James. His his Reddit username is Hydrophonics on, on Reddit. But if you give me a follow on Twitter, I just posted the link there for you. You can find it really easy. James, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Congratulations on this thread here. So I'm just checking it out now. 285 comments and counting here since you posted this. So let's talk about this, James. Uh, you were When were you down in Miami driving? I was down there for the last uh, week there from Saturday to Saturday, just on a, on a little vacation and, and seeking some warm weather, which uh, 
turns out it's happened up here anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, and you, and you did a lot of driving down there and I, I laughed at your post cause you, you wrote that it feels like playing grand theft auto, the video game here. So, so tell me about the type of driving behavior you saw down there in Miami. I found it got progressively worse the further south we got. Um, we, we got into Orlando and, and things weren't that bad. And then we got down to North Miami and we started seeing, you know, less and less people using their signals. And, you know, it seemed like every every two or three, two or second or third person was on their phone instead of driving and, and not, you know, slyly looking down at their lap on their phone. Like they've got their phone held up in front of their face or their, or their knee driving so they can use both hands on their phone and and the the worst part we found was in the evening in actual Miami was just it was unbelievable like it it did feel like GTA like there was people <laughs> people would stop wherever they wanted to i saw someone do a u turn from the right hand lane i saw someone do a right hand turn from the inside left lane um yeah. Almost nobody signals. There's lots of four-way flashers just in the middle of an intersection. It was, I I saw one person get honked or a, a pedestrian get honked at for having the audacity to cross on a cross signal because there was someone <laughs> who was so someone was turning left through the intersection and decided to block the intersection. Then realized that there was a pedestrian there and they honked at the pedestrian because they were in the wrong. Okay, that sounds pretty. That sounds like a pretty wild driving seat in Miami for sure. And let's let's talk about the uh, the distracted driving that you mentioned there. That people seem to be texting on their phone with with impunity, not even trying to hide it. Like at least here in Vancouver, if you're going to text and drive, you, you're trying to hide the phone in your lap, right? So you're saying that they don't do that in Miami? No, there there was no no even trying to hide it. Um, like the number of times I saw some, you know, there, there'd be someone good that has their, their dashboard mount, but they would just be leaning forward. And I could see people like scrolling, you know, Instagram and TikTok and stuff like that. And, you know, they've got 15 car links in front of them and there's people tailgating them. And yeah, they're just, they're just scrolling social media and having a good time. All right. And you, uh, you mentioned on your, your Reddit post that the fine, the fine down there for, for distracted driving is, is pretty, is peanuts, right? Yeah, we, we looked it up, and, and the, the funny thing about the texting law, at least how I interpreted it from the, the articles I read, it was brought in, I think, nine years ago, and it, it literally only applies to texting. So, okay. sc- so scrolling on your phone is actually apparently okay, according to the wow. word of the law. But, huh. but the, fine, the fine itself is only $30 for a first offense and I think $60 for a second offense. Thirty dollars. Okay, boy, that's certainly it's certainly a lot higher here for for a distracted driving ticket. You also write about people driving around with uh, with their high beams on. Tell me about that. Oh yeah, that that was pretty frustrating at at nighttime. Say it was that same evening. Um, you know, trying trying to leave the city, and maybe maybe a quarter of cars had their high beams on, and uh, you know there was th- this one guy that was really aggressively driving all, all through the lanes, wasn't getting much further, but he had his high beams on the whole time. So it got to the point that, you know, I, I, I redirected my rear view mirror to kind of point it back at him. Two blocks later, this guy pulls up at, at a red light and rolls down his window to yell at me for, for being so rude. Oh, <laughs> oh no. and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's Miami and, you know, they, they, people do tend to have, uh, 
free or open carry laws uh, for Ooh. guns in the state. So I, I did not respond. I didn't roll down my window. I, I frankly just kind of tried to ignore him because uh, I'm not about to get into a potentially heated exchange with someone in Florida. <laughs> I think that's actually very wise because you could have gotten into a real life grand theft auto moment there, I think. So, yeah, <laughs> get, getting pulled out of my car and beaten up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so this post, so you said that your experience driving in Miami for a week left you with, you now have a, a what, a better appreciation for Vancouver drivers? Like, did you, did you used to have oh. the, the feeling that Vancouver drivers were bad drivers, but now, now oh. maybe you're not so much, not so sure of that? hundred percent. Um, yeah. you know, be, before I went to Miami, I, I was a fairly typical Vancouverite and that I'd complained probably weekly about some bad driver on my commute or this thing I saw. And, and being in Miami, I realized I, I got to complain about those individual things because they stuck out in Vancouver. Whereas in some cities, it's just the norm. Just everybody cuts people off. Like there, there is no zipper merging in Miami. Wow. It's mm. just shut, shove your way in, don't signal, and don't let anybody know where you're going. Because if you do signal, they will try to cut you off. Okay, so your Reddit post got a lot of attention, like almost 300 comments here, as I mentioned earlier. Like, what's been the response? Like, what are people saying? It's been fantastic. Um, the, the, I, I, I posed it as a question in, in the post, you know, like, where, where else have you guys been in the world that's worse? And, you know, yeah. a lot of people came back with... You know, L.A. apparently is very similar driving atmosphere. There's people talking about New Orleans. There's people talking like um, I've been to the Philippines and and, you know, it's it's funny. People in the Philippines are more engaged drivers. There's very little distracted. Everyone is really on top of what they're doing. But just the volume, like there was a, a, a two and a half hour drive that we took that turned into a six and a half hour drive just because of congestion. Um, okay. Anyway. Okay. James, congratulations on the Reddit post. I'm, I'm glad it's gotten so much attention for you, and I encourage people to check it out. And uh, give me a follow on, on Twitter. I've just posted the, the link there for people to find easily. Thanks a lot for coming. I'm glad you, I'm glad you made it out of there. I made it out of uh, Miami without too much trouble. There were some close calls. All right, taking your calls on Vancouver drivers. What other cities are worse, have the worst drivers? Lots of calls here. Leo and Langley. Hey, Leo, go ahead. Hey, um, I was, um, great show, Mike. Um, I traveled in Sri Lanka and I, I was horrified. I was on a bus and like pedestrians and cyclists, they have no rights. I tell you, this guy's going straight for us. He is going to hit us head on. And in the last possible second, he swerves out of the way. Otherwise he would have been killed. And the driver... Took his foot off the pedal. He was just going for it. I'm going. Oh my god! It was unbelievable. Were the streets just like what is it? What's the traffic like over there? Terrible. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's so like they yeah. got all the tuk-tuks and everything, and the cyclists. I think I witnessed a pedestrian or a cyclist get hit almost every day. You see one line on the side of the road. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Wow. It's it's like Leo. Uh, or. Thank you for the call. We got lots of calls here. Let's try and get to some more. Randy and Poco. Hi, Randy. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Hey, um, Hi. two incidences happened a few years ago when I was driving in Paris. One was driving into town, multi-lane highway, an ambulance is coming along with the sirens and lights all going. 
Some cars are moving out of the way for the ambulance to go, and others are taking this as their as to their advantage to move up the highway faster, blocking in the ambulance. And wow. the sec the second one was doing the traffic circle around the Arch de Triomphe. Oh yes, There's yes. A, it's about ten lanes. All the lines are wore off, yet the other drivers are more than happy to let you know you're not in your lane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is that is a famous uh, traffic pattern there in Paris, for sure. I've seen that. Ken in Kelowna. Hi, Ken. What do you think? Oh, my goodness, I tell you. I've been born and raised in Vancouver, and I thought it was bad. Then I ended up going to New York last month, and wow. Huh. I mean, even my taxi driver was watching Indian TikTok on his phone while on his left knee while he's driving us down the road, swerving in and up. It was a don't they don't honk at you know somebody cutting them off because that's normal. They all just kind of weave in and out because the roads are narrow. You know they got dump trucks and they got other service vehicles, so they just kind of wedge their way in here and there. And people are kind of cool with it. They honk at the people that aren't paying attention. You know the pedestrians that got their headphones on or got their phone in the face, and so that was bad. But hey. top it off with Canton. Yeah. They got those circles, they got our circles in Canton. It was like watching Leapfrogger with people like pedestrians because they don't have the right of way, so they they leap from lane to lane, standing on the little white lines in the circle till they get across. Oh <laughs> boy, that that doesn't sound that sounds a little hazardous for your health. Ken, thank you for the call. Six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight is the number to call me. Star ninety eight ninety eight on your cell. Steve in the West End. Hey, Steve, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Uh, you know what? I, I think it's actually unfair to lump all Vancouver drivers into one category. There's different rhythms and flows to different municipalities. I drive a lot, so I see it. Um, however, I think the most hair-raising traffic situation was uh, when I was in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City last November. Uh, no kidding. I actually had to go on YouTube to find out how to safely cross a busy street. I was <laughs> just literally terrified. Uh, what, what does that mean? That means like literally eight, 70 to 80 mopeds coming at you in a city block, like a downtown Vancouver city block, coming at you in a wave. So how so, do you terrifying. how do you safely uh, how do you okay. safely cross the street in Ho Chi Minh City? <laughs> okay, as per YouTube, what you do is you stick your hand out and you walk slowly at a very constant pace, making <laughs> eye contact. And that's oh. how you do it. You don't, there's no running across, there's no erratic movements or you're dead. So oh, yeah, you, you, okay. YouTube will guide you. <laughs> Steve, thank you for sharing that. Let's squeeze in one more. Doug in Surrey. Doug, you got like 30 seconds here. Mike, we don't need to travel the world. We have Surrey and Richmond. If they understand the color of the lights or the rules of the road, they are totally disinterested as they yap away on their phone. So do you think that distracted driving is the biggest problem? The cell phones are the biggest Oh, issue? heck, half of them, if they even look over the top of the steering wheel, which if they are lucky, they can see over the steering wheel, they're so busy yapping away on their phone that, you know, yeah. the driving is a pastime. Doug, thank you for the call. Well, the cops will get you. I mean, you just have to listen to this show and you'll hear some of the ads from the police. We've got lots of new ways to catch you for distracted driving. And they catch they do catch a lot of people. It's a hefty fine. 
Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.